Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. Now today, right now, I want us to jump right into our study. We have been going through um, a study of different women of the Bible. Of course, not every woman, but certain women that we will pick out and take a look at and allow God to teach us and grow us through the ministry that he was doing in their lives and around them. And so today we are going to jump into studying a woman by the name of Gomer. Now, she is going to be the last woman that we look at in the Old Testament. She will bridge the gap for us between the study of women in the Old Testament and study of women in the New Testament. And like I've said so many times, it does not matter whether you are man or woman. We can always learn from every portion of the Word of God. If we will take it like David did and eat it and meditate on it and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives, we will be full of God's blessings and riches, joy, peace in abundance. I promise you that. So I want to encourage you today to um, get ready to dive in. We're going to go through her life in two weeks. And so we're studying this woman, Gomer. You may or may not be very familiar with her, but there is a great lesson to be learned through her life. And before I actually start talking about her, I want to share with you this crazy story that truly took place. You can't make this stuff up. I want to share it to you. And if you will um, indulge me for a second, I'm hoping it will give you a picture maybe an analogy that will help you as we go through Gomer's life. Now, this happened just about a summer ago, and I want to tell you something. It took place with my daughter, and my daughter is one of those people who loves every living creature, and I can't emphasize that enough. She truly does. Everything from from insects to every kind of mammal, it doesn't matter. She loves every creature made by God, and she actually has a special relationship with these animals. They love her. It's very interesting. You know, I've caught her singing to bees out in the yard. It's it's weird, and I'm going to admit that, but it's true. So here she is. This is her life. We have had this cat around our home for uh, many, many years, and it's a stray cat, and I want to emphasize that because to be completely honest, this cat drives me crazy. I don't love it. I don't love it being in my, I don't want it in my house. It, um, of course, it sheds everywhere. It's a cat. I'm not super excited about it. And so, but it's been around our home for many years. And my husband, who loves animals almost as much as my daughter, they both just felt so much pity for this cat that they began to feed it whenever it came around. They would feed it outside, per my request. But they began feeding it, and it sticks around, of course, like any cat would. And this cat, though, has gotten so accustomed to us that when he's around, and I want to pause right here and tell you, we have searched the neighborhood. This cat belongs to nobody we can find. Otherwise, I would have given it back to them time and time again, because this thing kind of drives me nuts. But I have my, in my kitchen, I have my window right above my sink and I look out into my backyard and I will be doing the dishes there or walking into the kitchen and out of nowhere, this cat will jump up onto the railing and begin pawing at the window. And he literally will knock to come in or to get my attention or to be fed. Literally, normally I will yell back at him, get out of here. Anna's not here right now. Um, Come back later. I'm so frustrated with him and he scares me and I start screaming and it's not pretty in our house at that time. But I do want to tell you, this cat is always there. 
there. And so knowing that and just giving you that background, and Anna loves this cat. This cat loves her. And I almost feel like they have this weird language because sometimes we'll pull into the driveway and the cat will show up and Anna will uh, look at him and say, go meet me around back. And off he runs and she'll go into the house, go through the house into the backyard. And there he is waiting for her. So they have this kind of strange relationship. But on this particular day I want to tell you about, she was in our backyard I'm looking outside through the window, and I notice that she is standing very still. She has her hands cupped in front of her and kind of lifted up a little bit in the sky, and I'm wondering what in the world is she doing? I can see her mouth moving. I can tell she's either singing or talking, and I'm thinking, what in the world is she doing? And I finally look closer, and I kid you not, true story, there is a hummingbird that is just flying right above her hands. It's just kind of resting in the air right above her hands, and she is talking to it. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what in the world is happening here? And I want to go tell her, honey, you can keep talking, but that thing's going to fly away. It's not going to land in your hands, which is what I knew she wanted it to do. Well, she keeps talking and she's being so gentle and careful. And literally this thing lights down in her hand. It actually does come to rest in her hand. Its wings stop flapping and it just sits there and stares at her and she talks to it. She's, she's you know, holding it. She actually could pet its head. It was the craziest moment. Now here's what happened. She's sitting there and I'm looking out. I'm not seeing anything. She clearly did not see anything. But out of nowhere, like Zimba or Mufasa in The Lion King, out of nowhere, this cat just jumps out of thin air and he catches this bird in its mouth and lands to the ground. Now, my daughter, of course, just enraged and terrified, grabs the cat, kind of does a Heimlich maneuver on him and out pops the bird from his mouth. She grabs the bird and she rushes upstairs, just tears streaming down her face. Now, I should also mention she kicked the, the little cat in the booty and she's yelling at it to get out of there. She was so mad and enraged. So she comes in the house and of course I rush to her and she goes, Mom, my bird, I think my bird died. And she's bawling and I, she opens up her hand and we see the little bird in there and this hummingbird, which I've never seen so up close in my life. It's still alive, but it's very, it's in shock. You can tell it's not moving a muscle. And so I tell her, I'm like, honey, I I don't know what to do with a hummingbird. You can pray for it. You can, you know, go sing to it and talk to it. But I said, you're just going to have to give it some time and then see if it will fly away. So she calms down and okay, okay. And she made sure that we made sure the cat was gone out of the yard. We we threw it out of the yard. And so, okay, it's gone. She was so mad at it. She goes back outside into um, the yard, kind of by these bushes where there's some flowers and maybe, maybe would entice the hummingbird to fly. So she lifts it back up again and she takes a long time. And, and this thing is just sitting in her hands for quite some time. And finally... Finally, it spreads out its wings and it begins to take flight again. And it had just lifted maybe a few inches out of her hands when again out of nowhere, this cat jumps through the bushes, grabs this bird in his mouth again and lands to the ground. Now, without even thinking, my daughter just swiftly pummels the cat in the back with her hand, hits it in the back of um, on its back. And this bird opens up its mouth. She's able to or the cat opens up its mouth and she gets the bird out again. This time she grabs it in its hand and she knew something was not right. She knew um, immediately that something was wrong with it. So she runs up the screaming at the 
cat runs all the way up onto our our deck, across the deck, into our house. And I call for my husband because I could tell this was going to be a bad moment. And so she comes in again and I am in shock. She's in shock. She's so irate. And we open up our hands and there's no puncture wounds. The, The bird hadn't been bit. I think the shock of the experience had just stopped its little heart, but it was dead. And so she was mortified. She was in anguish. She was bawling. And so literally my husband and I, we, we do this little funeral for the bird. We bury the bird and I'm holding her pretty much the rest of the afternoon and she's just so sad. And she could not believe her cat would do this. She literally kept using words like, how could my cat betray me like this? How could he hurt something I loved so much? How could he do this to me? And I was like, I know, honey, I know. This is like killing a unicorn. Killing a hummingbird is horrible. It's awful. And I said, this is just the nature of that wretched cat. And I got to be totally dead honest with you. I was kind of thrilled because maybe now we could get rid of this cat forever. Maybe her hatred towards it would allow us to get rid of this cat. And I'm telling you, I'm a little bit sick that way, but I was kind of excited because this thing drove me crazy. So I'm comforting her and she's so mad and she goes, I don't ever want to see that cat again. I don't ever want to touch that cat. And I'm thinking, okay, that's okay. Good. We can work with that. And I'm like, I know, honey, that's just the crazy nature of a cat. That's what he does. That's what he's prone to. That's his sinful full self coming out. Um, And of course, you know, I'm I'm saying that tongue in cheek and a little bit joking, but this is where she was. So I'm thinking, all right, we're done with the cat. It's gone. Um, She even had my husband literally throw it out of the yard. So there we go. So here it's out. Now, a couple days later, and it really truly was just maybe three days later, I'm looking outside and I find my daughter up in our huge cherry tree and she is getting near the top of this tree. And of course, that terrifies me. She's climbing all the way up in this tree. I don't know why I rush out into the yard and I go, Annalise, what are you doing? Why are you so high up in the cherry tree? Get down. And she goes, Mom, my cat is stuck up here and it can't get down. It's stuck and it can't get down by itself. It's going to die if it's left up here. And I could not believe what she was doing. And I'm like, Annalise, remember, we don't like the cat. Don't we hate the cat? We wanted the cat gone. Do you remember what the cat did? Do you remember how vile and evil and awful it was? How much it hurt you and it betrayed you? Do you remember this? Because I'm, I'm actually shocked she's doing this and I will never forget her words to me. You know what she yelled down at me? She goes, I'm doing this, mom, because this is how God loves. Here was her words and I am quoting her. She said, this is God's kind of love. Can you believe that? This is God's kind of love. Of course, that shut my mouth up so fast. What in the world was I going to say to that? And I could not believe how true in the wisdom coming out of her mouth, this was God's kind of love. That even though this cat had hurt her, even though she had been angry at it, it is now stuck cannot deliver itself. And so she would risk her life to go and deliver this cat back into safety and into relationship with her, that she would go and and get him again, receive him again to herself. And you know why? Because it's God's kind of love. I don't want us to forget that. I want us to remember that even if this locks in your head, because we are going to talk about a story, a woman and a man that to me is one of the greatest examples of God's love in the entirety of the Bible. We are going to be talking about loyal love and radical redemption. And I want us to remember that story as we go into it, because to me, it is an incredible analogy of the truth that we will find. Now, before we begin today, uh, for those of you who may not know, I want to catch us up in Israel's history because the people of Israel leading up to this seem to be heading in the right direction under the reign of King David. 
He was a man after God's own heart. We talked about him when we studied Bathsheba. They had seen many great military victories under him. The ark was brought back to Jerusalem. And then came David's son, Solomon, who was able to, for the first time, build a magnificent temple for God and for his worship. And the nation was unbelievably prosperous. Their borders continued to expand as they finally took ownership of the entirety of the promised land for the very first time. However, the people's dominion, I want to tell you, was not the only thing that began moving outward. You see, after Solomon's death, things quickly fell apart. His son Rehoboam continued imposing heavy taxes and labor on the people, and they finally revolted against him, and the country split. Ten of the twelve tribes united under Jeroboam and formed their own nation, the nation of Israel, which was called the Northern Kingdom. Judah and the tribe of Benjamin continued under the reign of Rehoboam and became known as Judah in the south. Now these two were at war against each other continually. They continued to grow further away from their love and worship of God Almighty. God began sending prophets to speak to the people and their leaders on his behalf. So now we enter into the time of prophets, which of course will conclude the Old Testament. But he began to send these prophets to speak to the people and leaders on his behalf. But the prophets were often ignored and often persecuted. The people preferred to surround themselves with people who told them what they wanted to hear rather than those who called them to repent and turn to God. I wonder today if this sounds like any other nation we know. I truly am asking us to look at the similarities between the nation of Israel, between the life of Gomer and our current nation in our current time. In fact, I really want you to contemplate this similarity as we study over the next couple weeks this period of, of history in Israel and think about where we find ourselves today. We are currently in the time of the prophets. This is an exciting, a hard, somewhat strange time. And I want us to understand who these prophets were and what exactly it was that they were called to do. Now, like I said, since this is the time of the prophets, you, we first we saw the first one, actually, when we were studying Hannah with the mention of Samuel, who became the first prophet of God. And then, of course, it continues on and on through Ezekiel and Elisha and, and Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos. And we could keep talking about them. But here's what prophet means. It means inspired man. It means mouthpiece of God, a spokesman. Of course, we do know that there were female prophetesses as well. So it means an inspired person, a mouthpiece of God, a spokesman, either for the one true God or, of course, for false gods. Now, they were God's messengers to the people. They spoke on his behalf and with the nation split and following after anything and everything but God, the message they brought was often a message of God's judgment and discipline, and they were not very liked, if you can imagine. They were often persecuted. Now, all of this, and because God wanted the people to get his message in a very real way, he would often ask the prophets to do some pretty unusual acts in order to get a clear picture of what God was saying to the people. He asked them to do some crazy things. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to read Ezekiel chapter 4 and chapter 5. You're going to find some pretty weird things that he calls the prophet Ezekiel to do. Some of those include he has to lie on his sides for 430 days lying on his side in order to get a certain picture across to the Israelites. He ha he was called then, God asked him to eat his food cooked over, he at first asked him to cook it over human excrement. 
Now, Ezekiel argues with God and says, please don't don't make me defile myself in this way. And so God relents and allows him to cook his food over a cow um, dung. But this is what he's called to do as a prophet. He has to cook all of his food that way. Jeremiah in chapter 13, he's asked to prophesy in dirty undergarments. Did you know that? Read it. It's true. He has to keep his same undergarments on for a huge long period of time until finally God says you can remove them, put them in a cleft in a rock. They get old and nasty and disgusting. Then he has to take them back out of the cleft of the rock and talk about them. Isaiah is told to preach without his clothes. I mean, God was asking these guys to do some pretty crazy things. And I want you to remember this and keep it in mind as we're soon going to discover what God asks of Hosea. And I want us to realize it really shouldn't shock us too much. Now, before we read, I want us to understand what was going on in the life of Israel. So we're going to take this a little bit differently. I want us to flip this story upside down in order to get it right side up. We are going to, we have the benefit right now of the whole and complete book of Hosea. So I want us to see right away through reading the rest of Hosea, what it is that God wants to tell his people. What is his message? We can already know what his message is. And I want us to see that before we enter into Hosea and Gomer's story, which we're going to cover next week. So what I'm going to do with us right now is I'm going to take little pieces from chapters 4 through 14 of Hosea, just so you can get and I can get a clear understanding of the message that God needed to get across to his people. And in this message, I can I really urge you to think about the message God would say to our country now. The message he was getting across to Israel is still needed today. Now, I'm going to continue to go on. I would encourage you to read all of chapters 4 through 14. I am just going to hit them as we go because I want you to get it more like a story. So I'm going to start in chapter 4 at the end of verse 1, but then I'm going to continue on. And I urge you just to listen. Pay attention to repetitive words that are said over and over again. Here's the main message of God to his people at this time. He says this, there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in this land. I wonder if that rings a bell. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds because of this. Even the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beast of the field, the birds of the air, the flesh of the sea, they're all dying. My people. And here's one of my favorite verses in Hosea. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I also reject them as my priests because they have ignored the law of their God. I will ignore them. The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat, but never have enough. They will engage in prostitution, but never increase because they deserted the Lord to give themselves over to prostitution, which takes away the understanding of my people. They consult wooden idols and they're answered by sticks of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts for they do not acknowledge the Lord. They are unfaithful to the Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. For he desires mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. 
But Israel's arrogance testifies against him. Despite all of this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. God longs to redeem them, but they speak lies against me, he says. They do not cry out to me from their hearts. I train them and strengthen them, but they plot evil against me because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against me. It says, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Let Israel know this because your sins are so many and your hostility so great. Now the prophet is considered a fool among you. The inspired man of God is considered a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim or over Israel. Yet snares await him on all of his paths and hostility is in the house of his God. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I called him out of Egypt. But the more I loved him, the further he went from me. And he sacrificed to the idols. It says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. But now will they not return to Egypt or return to bondage? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Listen to this last line. My people are determined to turn from me. Now, I hope when you were listening to that, maybe some key words stood out to you and I want to share them with you because hopefully you noticed all throughout this account, there were a few things that continued to be repetitive um, and repeating over and over again. One of those words is the word to acknowledge. They will not acknowledge. That means they will not accept or admit the existence and truth of who God is. Another word is they are unfaithful. That means not faithful, disloyal, insincere. And because of that, they have prostituted themselves out to other gods, to other things. Knowing all of this, I want you to get that picture in your head because this is why he's calling Hosea to do what he does. This is why he's going to give us one of the best pictures of how he feels, of his love of all time. It's incredible and it will bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New for us. But I encourage you as you think about all of this today and over the course of this week, I encourage you to join me, get down on your knees and acknowledge the truth and existence of God Almighty. Acknowledge the fact that even we as a nation have turned our backs on him, that we're determined to reject him. Ask God that he would bring us back to acknowledging who he is because my heart breaks for where we are. It breaks for where we are. He has remained faithful to us time and time again. And yet, just like Gomer, just like Israel, we turn consistently to other gods. And we know very well what these other gods might be for us, whether it's our money or our success or our wealth. We have turned from him to worship other things. We are not so different from the nation of Israel. We're not so different from Gomer. And yet God is going to show us how he loves us with a loyalty like no other. We are going to see that we are radically redeemed. We are going to see that his love is matchless. It is unconditional. It is unfathomable. It's untouchable. His heart breaks for the unfaithfulness of his people. And yet he calls us back just like my daughter with her cat. And I encourage you contemplate this. Think about this. Meditate on this and begin to cry out to God that we would be a people who would open our hearts to him in repentance and that we would become a faithful, loyal people. Next week, we're actually going to jump into the study of Gomer. And I hope this sets a foundation for where we're going. I encourage you read chapters four through 14 and be ready to jump into this next week. Thank you all so much for joining and I'll see you next week.